You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Last week or two, I was picking up my son Landon at the school, and on my way into the school, I saw a few people that I knew, and we had a few nice little conversations and got to say hi to some people, and I felt encouraged because I saw some old friends. And uh, then I got into the office, and I'm sitting there on the one side of the window, and behind me are all these elementary school students passing by to go to lunch. And I hear one elementary school student who had looked through the window and seen me say to his friend, he tapped him on the shoulder and said, that guy's bald. (laughs) So... I'm 45 and still getting bullied by elementary school students, all right, everybody? So I think about that experience I had at school the other day, and there were some encouragement, right? There was some seeing old faces and saying hi to friends, and then there was that, right? And today, as we work our way through the message, because remember, we're in the book of Acts, so we're just following where the scripture takes us, uh, there's going to be some encouragement, and there's also going to be some things that, like me, maybe you don't want to hear in the moment, but I promise you, it's for your good. It's for your good. And so we're going to look at some uh, really important questions today. One is, what does a unified church look like? Another one is, why should we take sin seriously? Another question is, what do we do when God and culture collide? You know, uh, there's God's ideas and our ideas. There's God's ideas and culture's ideas, or even we have our own emotions, don't we? We have our own things going on on the inside, and and you have God and kind of what I think, and what happens when those collide? Who do we listen to? Uh, And then some encouraging stuff. How do I find forgiveness? Maybe you're here today going, man, I just feel so weighed down by a bunch of the stuff I've done or my past or things done to me, or like, where do I find that, that hope in God? And then lastly, some of you are here today saying, can I really trust that Jesus is alive? Like, why would I believe any of this stuff? And as we're going to talk about some areas of our life that we need to surrender to God today, we really need to know that Jesus is alive. That's kind of a huge deal, right? Because if I'm convinced Jesus is alive and I can find hope and forgiveness in him, then this other stuff that I'm seeing that's kind of countercultural and kind of maybe even tough to hear today, I can surrender that to God knowing it's worth it. And so we're going to see how that all plays out here today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're in the room or watching online. It's amazing to have you here. And we just hope that you today find the hope of God, and you hear some of the truth of God, and that it does something deep in your heart. That's been my prayer all week as we're leading up to this. So we are in the book of Acts, and it's called the book of Acts because it shows the acts or actions of the Holy Spirit and the early church. Everybody say aloud who wrote it. All right, a couple of you got it. Good job. Everybody say Luke together. Luke. All right, there it is. And we've been saying he wrote it for four primary reasons. So everybody say history, say theology, say apologetics, And say example. And we've really dug into that those first two weeks. Uh, Today, let's get into question number one. What does a unified church look like? Read with me Acts 4.32. I love this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Oh, that, that would be true of us. One in heart and mind. Just being able to say, um, I, I'm a part of the church family and we're just one. We don't have all this stuff dividing us and causing all kinds of issues, right? Um, Why were they one? A couple reasons. Number one, they had seen a risen Jesus. That'll kind of do it for you, right? That'll kind of gather you around something. Number two, are you ready for this? Because they were persecuted. Mm, No amens on that one, right? Because they were persecuted. Why does persecution unify the church? Because now we have to come together and stop arguing about all the stuff that normally divides us. Oh, no amens on that either. All right. Right? Like all of a sudden, now suddenly, I, you know what? If Jesus, if it's a rapture or a second coming, or political this, political that, like, wow, we have the hope of the world, 
And we have got to be bold in this hour, right? And so I love that they're unified and they have one heart and they have one mind. And I want you to see a couple of things that the unity produces in the church. Number one, check this out. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Generosity. The church should be the most generous people in the world, right? Another one, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The apostles were able to continue to preach and get the word of Jesus out there. Why? Because the church was one in heart and mind, which meant they weren't putting out a million internal fires and were able to focus on what God had called them to do. Now listen, as the church, we are here to help reconcile. So if some people in the church have issues, we're here to sit with you and and help work through that. That's a part of what we do, and we're happy to do it. But I love that when unity happens, there's so much less attention on that and so much more focus on the things God's called us to. So unity is so huge. Then it says this, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's moving mightily because a unified church can get some amazing stuff done in the power of God, can't we, right? Like, think about those of us who are parents in the room. When our kids are all at each other, It makes it really hard in the home to focus on the things you got to do because you're constantly just fixing stuff. But when everybody's just, it's Christmas morning, everybody's laughing and happy and opening presents, right? Like, it's like, this. why can't it always be like this? Because we could just enjoy and be who God's called us to be and do what he's called us to do. And so the same thing was going on in the early church. And then it says this, that there were no, so they were, God was working so powerfully, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So astounding generosity. And then it says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Say Levite from Cyprus. All right. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So my question for you today is, does anybody own a field Because we're trying to build a building up the street, so that would be awesome. Okay, so we don't have Joseph the Levite from Cyprus in the room? No? Okay. Do we have Joseph the lawyer from Center Reach? Can I get even close with like the the way the the word? No? Okay, all right. We'll keep going then. Um, We're about to look at a very intense story, okay? And our 21st century Western minds are going to have to work through this a little bit, okay? So let's work on what we see here, and it leads to question two. Why should we take sin seriously? Here we go, Acts 5, 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan so filled your heart, and you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So what happened here? Well, Joseph had sold the field and given all the money to the apostles, and Ananias and Sapphira sold their property and said, hey, here's all the money we got, and then held some back. And so the issue wasn't that they held the money back, it was that they lied about it, right? They presented themselves one way, And then really we're doing something totally different, which of course is called hypocrisy. And so some of us might here in the room struggle with hypocrisy. And I want to remind you, hypocrisy doesn't mean you struggle. Hypocrisy means you make yourself look like you don't struggle and you struggle, right? And so you think about it this way, that's maybe the person in the room that's going, well, I'm so pure, I'm so pure, I'm amazingly pure, and there's a whole lot of sexual stuff going on in their life. Or, um, hey, tell tell me what's going on in your life, I just want to pray for you. And then you turn into the biggest gossip in the world, right? Like, that's hypocrisy. And sometimes we struggle with hypocrisy, don't we? 
And so what do we do with hypocrisy? And what do we do with sin? Why take it so seriously? Well, look at this. And again, 21st century Western minds, we're going to have to work through it. You ready? When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. What? What is going on here? Verse Verse 7. About three hours later... His wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men you buried, your husband, excuse me, who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yeah, you think? Like, what is happening here? Why did this happen? Why is this included in the book of Acts? And why should we focus on it here in church? Why should we take sin so seriously? Well, let me give you a couple reasons, okay? First one, Sin leads to death, right? Romans 6.23 tells us that the payment for sin is death. And in this case, it led to literal death. And and if you're a long-time living worder, then you know that um, you've heard me say before that sin always leads to death, right? It's just the death of different things at times. Sometimes it's literal death, physical death, but often it's different death, isn't it? Sin is always leading to death somehow. I'll give you some examples, right? Sex outside of marriage leads to the death of intimacy within marriage, Right? And we've talked about sex outside of marriage a good bit here in the past. And I want you to know today, today's not like a big, heavy, horrible, I'm going to lay a bunch of rules on you. All of this is wrapped in tremendous grace. And it's really for your good. But we've talked about that in the past. Um, Gossip leads to the death of friendships, right? Lying leads to the death of trust. Porn leads to the death of sexual intimacy as well, doesn't it? And listen, if you're here today going, well, that stinks because I have had sex outside of marriage or I do watch porn or I am a liar or I do gossip, Well, praise God that God can forgive and restore and help us live differently in the future, no? He does that. If you're here today, I'm going to talk about some intense stuff, but at the end of the day, as I also say very frequently here, God does the heavy lifting. As we come to him, you're going, I'm so stuck in porn. I'm so struggling with sex stuff. I'm so struggling with gossip or lying or whatever it is. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the heavy lifting. Our job is to get close to him. And watch what he does. But let's talk about porn for a little bit because it's everywhere, man. Like you can't check out at CVS without having to take your thought captive, right? And it's not just about the Altoids, right? Like you got to, right? I mean, you can't drive to New York City without a billboard being thrown in your face. If you own a cell phone or your kid does, right? It's just everywhere. It's so easily accessed. And I know I brought this up before, um, but it's the best illustration I've ever heard about this. So I'm going to keep using it until I find a better one. But every one of you would know the name of the person that said this, okay? Amazing musician, one of the greatest musicians of our time, honestly. And he has been with what many would consider the most beautiful women in the world, actresses, models, uh, musicians. And the statement that he made was that he prefers a night at home with his laptop watching porn than a real experience with any of these women. Because that's what porn does. It destroys intimacy. In fact, secular scientists confirm a lot of what the Bible says. Everything I'm about to read to you is secular science. It's not out of the scriptures. It just confirms what God tells us. Uh, Porn creates sexual dysfunction so that we can't perform in real life. Marital quality and commitment are compromised, scientists say. The brain is rewired, and pornographers know this, and so that's why it has to keep getting crazier and sicker and more vulgar. 
because our brain gets used to one level of pornography, so it has to have more. It has to get a little more strange, a little more out there. And that's why it just keeps getting worse and worse, because the brain wants more, at least it thinks it does. What was supposed to be a blessing in God's design, what God gave as a beautiful gift of sex, right, has been so perverted and brought so much brokenness. In fact, the brain produce, produces certain chemicals that were meant to be released when you're with your spouse that when released without your spouse lead to depression and anxiety. And so clearly God's way works. Clearly God has a design. Clearly God tells us, watch what you look at and be careful. Guard your eyes for good reason. Not just because he's trying to spoil our fun. He's actually trying to lead us to true fulfillment and satisfaction in the Lord. Porn consumers report greater depressive system symptoms, lower quality of life, and poorer mental health. Researchers are saying this. You ready for this? Compulsive porn consumers find themselves wanting and needing more porn even though they don't necessarily like it. I don't know about you guys. If you're eating some candy or something that you don't even like, but you just keep eating it. The kids recently, they had some kind of weird like Sour Patch Kid variation in the house. It's like a mutant Sour Patch thing or something, you know? I like the, the old school ones, but they had this other kind, and, and I, I tried one. I didn't like it. I tried another one, still didn't like it, and I'm just eating it. I'm literally thinking, like, what am I doing? And I'm trying to watch my weight here. Like, what's going on? I don't even like this, but I'm still eating it, right? And that's like exactly what they say about porn. We're, we don't even like it at the end of the day, but we're still so drawn to it. It's this compulsory thing. It's this habit. It's this brain rewiring. But listen to me, everybody. God's bigger than your brain wiring. He can help you and I. He can carry you and I. He can give us new habits. And so why take sin seriously? Because it leads to death. Another reason, because it's not your buddy. I think so often we think our sin is our buddy. Oh, isn't my gossip habit so cute, right? Like, isn't this whole area of my life that I'm kind of just keeping hidden, that's just for me and you, right? This is just about us. No, our sin is not our buddy. It's out to kill. Another reason, we should have a healthy revering of God and his ways. I don't want you to be afraid of God like you're afraid to come close to him because God wants us to come close to him. And it's in that coming close to him that we have the strength and the power and the forgiveness that we need to overcome the other stuff. But I do think that we need to just sit back sometimes and go, God, you are huge, holy, other than me, different than me, pure, wonderful, powerful, and I love you. And my love for you and my revering of you makes me turn the screen off, makes me shut my mouth when I have no business running it, right? My love for my wife causes me to act in certain ways toward her. Shouldn't that be true of us and God, right? My love for, my, my, my love for the Lord is going to motivate me away from that. And lastly, another reason that we should be taking sin really seriously, and we can take this, serious, uh, this story seriously and learn from it as we think, like, these people lied and they died. Like, what do I, how do I deal with that? Well, I would say you and I need to be astounded at the grace that we've been shown, right? This person lied and died. How many times have you and I lied and lived? How many times have you and I looked at things we shouldn't have looked at and lived? The Lord's been so gracious to us. He's been so good to us. I quoted the first line of Romans 6.23 a minute ago. I think I did. I was supposed to if I followed my notes right here. That said the payment for sin is death. But let's look at the rest of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to me. Everybody look at me real quick. The payment for sin was death, Jesus' death. But the gift of God is life in him. 
And so now we have the opportunity to come close to him and come near to him. And so we need to take sin seriously, not because if we don't sin, we'll save ourselves. No, we've been saved. So now let's honor Jesus from that place and look to him, even in the most intimate places of our souls, and say, Lord, you're welcome then. You know that that song we sang a few minutes ago, you love me as you find me. That is 100% true. No matter how you walked in here today, you walked in here having looked at a whole bunch of stuff today you shouldn't have looked at, gay, straight, angry, prideful. God loves us as he finds us. But the song goes on, you love me too much to leave me here, right? You love me too much to leave me right here in the middle of all this. And so, Lord, I'm going to look to you. And so what is an area of your life you need to surrender to the Lord today? We're going to go a little deeper here in just a minute. But I told you guys last week the story we looked at last week was a cliffhanger to this week, okay? And if you remember, I'll just catch you up in case you missed it. That, uh, Peter and John pray for a, a crippled man, and he's healed. And the religious leaders freak out and imprison them. And then they release them and they go back to the church and they pray for boldness and miracles. And God shows up and does some amazing things. And the story continues here and it helps us answer our third question today. And the third question is this, what do we do when God and culture collide? Who do we listen to? Do we listen to God? Do we listen to human beings? Do we listen to us? Who do we listen to? Who do we obey? So God continued to do some incredible things. The religious leaders are jealous, so they arrest Peter and John, and they are in jail. And as they're in jail, an angel opens the door and says, go keep preaching. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in jail and an angel opens the door and tells me to keep preaching, I'm going to keep preaching, okay? Just how it's going to play out. I want to just say, even in the prison, everybody, God gives us what we need to keep going, amen? Even in the prison, man. I'm going to talk about having boldness. Even in the prison, they're going, all right, hey, angel, you open up that door. We're back out there doing it again. But isn't that what you got, got you guys in here? Yeah, it's what got us in here. But we're going to go right back out because we know the truth and we need to keep declaring. God gives us what we need, guys, even in those scary moments. Acts 5, 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to preach to the people. They're teaching the people out there again. It goes on. When the high priest and his associates arrived, the people who arrested them, in other words, called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's a bad day when the people you put in prison aren't in prison anymore. Verse 24, on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. That's an even worse day. The people that you lost from prison are out doing what you put them in prison and told them not to do. They're out there doing it right now. The apostles are arrested again. How silly. We've seen how well this works, right? It goes on in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And right here, is Peter's amazing response. I think it's one of the most amazing responses in all of Scripture. When I was 22 years old in college, learning how to preach in preaching school, I had to preach a message that I got to pick any passage I could choose. And this was the passage that I preached from. This past week, I texted a few pastor friends and said, hey, pray for me. Uh, we're doing Acts 5 this week, and it's going to be intense, and I just need extra prayer. And two of them wrote back. One of them said, I preached in Acts 5 last week. Another one said, I'm preaching in Acts 5 today. So I think God's up to something, everybody, all right? Acts 5.28, we saw this threat. In Acts 5.29, Peter says this. 
Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Guys, when God and culture collide, what do we do? When God and our emotions collide, what do we do? Because we're a part of culture, right? Like, we're human beings, so it's either God's way or our way. What do we do? You know? Like, you don't really think purity matters in 2023, right? Hey, I got to obey God rather than men. You don't take your, church, your kids to church and youth group, do you? Hey, our family, man, we, we've chosen to obey God rather than human beings. You're not going to be honest as you do business, are you? I mean, once in a while, you got to throw a little lie in there to close a deal, right? I must obey God rather than men. Culture's trying to tell you who you are and give you your identity. Well, who's God say that you are? Maybe your own emotions are so in on this, man. You're just like, but, but I feel like I am my sin, you know? Like, I feel like we're one and the same, and I don't know how to separate myself from that. And so, I, 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 Doug, I, I hear you and all, and I'd love to do things God's way, but I don't even know how to make that happen. We're going to continue to explore here what God says, because the truth is that we all know that living by our emotions doesn't work. We'll live by our own emotions to our own destruction, right? Like, I'll give you an example. We all agree, I would guarantee you, here in this room, if we took a poll, that if I see someone that I don't like and I'm angry at them and I want to kill them and I kill them, that that's wrong. Every one of us. That emotion of hate and anger and murder is 100% wrong. We'd all agree on that. Then, oh, I'm going to go to the store later and and the Apple store is closed um, and there's just something that I really want there, so I'm just going to break through that window, right? And I'm going to grab it and I'm going to run out with that several thousand dollar item. We would all agree, Doug, that is wrong. Don't live by that emotion of desire and greed, right? But it gets a little tricky, doesn't it? You start to get into some really hot topics, don't you? As you start to say, well, what does this mean and how far do I go with this? I mean, I must obey God rather than men and I must obey God rather than human beings. I must obey God rather than my own emotions. Like, where do I take this? And so here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to sit down for a minute. I'm going to do a little fireside chat with Uncle Doug here for a second, all right? And I want us to actually pray right now. So Lord... Before I even speak another word, we just look to you. And we thank you so much that you're a big God and your word is really powerful. We thank you that your spirit is at work in this place today. And so God, we just open up our hearts to hear from you now, Lord, and we just pray that you will change hearts and minds as only you can. My words won't do it. But Lord, we ask you for help. I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you have good for us. And so, would you meet us here right now in your name? Amen. So, I want to talk with you about some hot topics and some stuff that isn't easy to talk about. And I am not saying these things today because we as a church need to make our stand. Listen, everybody, that means nothing. Why is the scripture written? To make a stand? No, to reach people. To reach people who need Jesus, right? I'm not saying what I'm saying right now so that we as a church will feel, oh good, our pastor's you know, talking about tough topics. No, the scriptures and the Lord want to reach people who are living tough topics, right? And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about some things that are difficult and I want to use scriptures that some churches have used against some of you and use them to reach you. So we're going to look at a few thoughts. I already mentioned today, sex outside of marriage, right? Um, We must obey God rather than human beings. And we've talked about how the scriptures say that, you know, sex outside of marriage is something that 
um, causes us to sin against our own body, right? The scriptures say. And that the Lord loves us so much. He desires for us to, to have the, the relationship and the blessing of what he's designed for in marriage. And, and, and when we walk that way and when we end up in those circumstances, we end up in, in deep regret and deep pain. And, uh, you know, I think the, the impurity that we can walk in sometimes can lead to those lifelong frustrations and regrets. And, and the Lord loves us so much. He desires for us to escape that. And if you've already walked in that, you've already done some of those things, God is so good. He loves you and forgives you. There's not one person in this room looking back at me today, no matter who you are, or what you believe, or what your background is, or what you're feeling today, or what you might struggle with, that isn't incredibly loved by us and God. And so if you're here saying, well, Doug, this is ridiculous. This is 2023, man. I'll sleep with who I want to sleep with. I'm just saying that the Lord says there's a better way. And he's the designer. And he's the creator. And sex is good. It's a gift. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing that God has given us when misused screws up pretty much everything. And so, man, I would just say, especially young people in the room, some of us in the room who are just wrestling with some of these temptations and things and, and even just mindsets and cultural thoughts right now about this. I know I seem like a dinosaur right now, a super ancient guy from like the, you know, the 19 whatevers that came back to visit today and tell you all this stuff. But I'm telling you, God doesn't change. We're saying today, you are the same God, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Mary and all right, the God who did all these amazing things back then. And truth is truth. Truth doesn't change. Gravity will be gravity a thousand years from now, right? And so we need to continue to cling to the Lord. And I'm just saying, if you're in the middle of that, like the church wants to come around you. We, we're here to help you with these struggles and, and show you truth and, and help you walk in purity and what God has for you. And there's tremendous grace and forgiveness for what you may have gone through and where you might find yourselves. Porn, we must obey God rather than human beings. I already talked a lot about that today. It's so worth it to do it God's way. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's so worth it. The next two are really sensitive subjects, and I'm gonna talk about them, and I'm going to open up what I hope will be a conversation with you at another time, because the next two are very sensitive things, and while I think they should be talked about in a sense from the pulpit so that conversations can have, happen and we can be informed on what God says about them, I would love to talk with you about them at another time. If you are struggling with this, if you believe 100% differently, if you leave today hating me, know that I don't hate you and I love you and I would love to talk with you more. Uh, there are certain things that should be talked about one-on-one -on -one and not just one to a group, right? And so I want to just generally talk about this. And then I pray, have conversation with anyone who needs it. I got to talk and pray with a few people after the last service, and I would love nothing more. But let's talk about a couple that are really hot topics right now. Um, Same-sex dating and marriage. We must obey God rather than human beings. God's design is one man and one woman. And listen, if you disagree with me, you are so loved. <laughs> You're so incredibly loved. If you are... In a same-sex relationship, God loves you. I love you. We love you. We're here to walk with you. We're here to point you continually to Jesus. But knowing that sometimes these scriptures have been used against you, today I want them to reach you. And that's been my prayer, literally on my knees for the last several weeks as I knew we were going to be talking about this, that, Lord, would you reach people with this? Would you open their hearts to who you are and what you say with these truths? Let's look at God's design. Genesis 2.24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become 
one flesh. God's design. Just second chapter in the whole Bible. One man, one woman. And we could look at Leviticus 18 or Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Timothy 1 or Hebrews, Hebrews 13, which all talk about God's heart for this. But my heart today was just to begin a conversation and, 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 and just, again, remind us and inform us of what God says about this and hopefully lead it further into one-on-one conversations about this because there's nuance and, and there's different conversations that need to happen around this stuff that's really important on a personal level. But I hope today at least you would begin to explore this because I would guess there are people in the church today that are like, I never even heard that before. And it's important that we know this. And so... Another hot topic is the redefining of gender. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than human beings. Even we must obey God rather than what we feel inside. Every one of us are drawn to things that God says are not good and are going to lead to pain and are going to lead to broken places. And so all of us, not just you, not just these hot topics, forgive the church, everybody, if the church has ever made it seem like these two things I'm bringing up right now are worse than others. It's across the board. We all do things that God says we shouldn't do. And that's why we need Jesus and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit in our life to do the heavy lifting. But it says here, just 27 verses into the Bible, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. Let's just stop there for a minute. If you're wondering, well, I don't, I've, my whole life I felt like I'd have no value. I have no belonging. I have no purpose. I have no family. I have no sense of community with anyone or anything. Here's God saying, I've given you my very fingerprint, made you in my own image. And he says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we cannot go back and change the most fundamental thing about us, our identity in God and who he's made us to be. If you disagree with me, I love you. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad we could start a conversation about it. The Lord loves you. You are wanted. You have purpose. You have value. And the Lord has a good future for you. My heart and prayer has been, Lord, take this. This is not a stance day. This is, Lord, reach people right where they are. You love me as you find me. You're too good to leave me here. You love me as you find me, but you're too good to leave me here. Guys, we'll walk with you through this stuff. We'll talk with you through this stuff. You're loved and respected by the Lord and by us. But at the end of the day, we must say, I've got to listen to the Lord above what culture may say or even what I might say. And it's not just about sexual stuff, right? Lying. God, I got to obey you rather than human beings. But I could get ahead a little bit more. I could, I could get a little further if I, but how the, how the Lord might bless if you do it honestly. How he might show up and come through if you do it with integrity, right? Gossip. We did a whole series a few months ago about gossip, and we defined gossip as bad news from a bad heart behind somebody's back, right? And the saying for that series was, if it ain't your place, shut your face, Right? Somebody in our church made a shirt for me, which I love and proudly wear. There it is, right there. And just knowing, Lord, you have different. My son Landon, when he was two, used to love to run from us in big stores. Target, Costco, Home Depot, Best Buy, Walmart. He would just get a little bit ahead of us, and then he would take off. 
And he would run and then stop and look back with this like cute little devilish smile on his face. And we would run after him. And he knew how much he had to wait before he decided to start running again to time it so we couldn't quite get to him. And then he would stop and we would just do this for a while. I remember one time we were in Costco and he was running for the exit door to leave the store. And I ran faster than I ever have in my whole life and just scooped him up. Because what kind of horrible parents would we be, right? Kelly and I are just like, eh, just go, right? Just <laughs> run out that door, get stolen, get taken, get hit by a car, right? And listen, everybody, listen. The Lord loves you so much. His father love toward you is off the charts. And he will run after you. And he will scoop you up, even if you're close to that exit door. And he will pursue you. You've gone through the exit door. He's run out into the parking lot. He loves you, and he'll pick you up and hold you in his loving arms and bring you to himself. That's the kind of father he is. And my job as a pastor once in a while to come up here and say some hard things in love, in grace, in truth, that I think will rescue you and I back from those dangerous places that the Lord would want us rescued from. We could take a deep, deep breath. I want to thank you guys for hearing me out. I want to thank you for not running out. And I just, again, pray that it will open up some important conversations that we need to have, even maybe within some of your guys' homes, as parents, talking with your kids about some of these challenging things that we're going through as a culture right now. And we're here to help. But let's quickly talk these last two questions. How do I find forgiveness? And can I really trust that Jesus is alive? How do I find forgiveness? Maybe you've done some wrong things. We all have. Where do I find that forgiveness? And, and at the end of the day, if I'm going to submit my life to God and I'm going to take something like my sexuality or my purity or lying or gossip or any of these things that might feel so ingrained to who I am and I'm going to surrender that to God, i got to really be convinced he's alive. So why should I be convinced he's alive? Well, let's look at the next part, Acts 5.30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. How do I find forgiveness? It is there and there alone. You can't save yourself. That's amazing news. It's called the good news, by the way. Because you and I can't rescue ourselves. We need Jesus' forgiveness. And he died that we would know and walk in that forgiveness. But maybe you're saying, but how can I really trust that Jesus is alive? Look what it says in verse 32. Peter says, we are witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We've seen this, Peter, saying, I'm not making this stuff up. I've seen Jesus alive. The religious leaders then become furious with Peter, okay? And they want to just be done with him. But a wise man named Gamaliel stands up, and Gamaliel says to them, everybody, we got to be careful how we treat these two guys. And he says something so powerful. Please, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're wondering about the proof of Jesus' resurrection, just hear me quickly for a minute, okay? He says, do you guys remember that there were these two people a little bit ago? And they both claimed to be somebody. He doesn't, he doesn't explain what they claim to be. Maybe God, maybe a prophet, maybe a miracle worker. But, but they had this whole following, and, and the one, one was killed. And as soon as he was killed, his followers dispersed. The second guy, same thing. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed. And then he says this. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. 
Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Yeah, Gamaliel, because you've been fighting against God. That's why the guys you put in prison end up free. And he has wisdom here. And I want you to think about those two men. Everybody look at me real quick, and we'll close in just a minute, right? You ready? First thing, those two men were both killed, and they stayed in the ground. Our Savior killed and rose back from the dead. Second thing about those two men, when they were killed and put in the ground, their following dispersed. Well, Jesus following dispersed while he was in the ground, but when he rose back from the dead, they came back strong, bold, ready to go say they'd seen him alive. And so Gamaliel is very wise in what he says because there was a marked difference between Jesus and anybody else. If you're here today saying, why would I believe in Jesus? Because he's not on the ground anymore. And his followers came back so bold, they gave their lives saying they'd seen Jesus alive. You don't die for what you know is a lie. And so when you and I think about forgiveness and grace and handing over to God the most sensitive and delicate areas of our lives, we can know we're handing our lives over to someone we can trust, a loving Father, a loving Savior, and a powerful, powerful spirit inside of us. Well, his speech persuaded them. They call the apostles in, and they command them to go and not preach. And it says this in verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They obeyed God rather than human beings, even though it cost them their very lives. And so today, what have we seen? What a unified church looks like, generous. We are able to do the work of God because we are, have our eyes on our mission, right? And we're able to bring the hope of Jesus to those in need. Why take sin seriously? Because it leads to death, because sin is not our buddy, because we have a holy, pure, wonderful God, and because we've been shown, shown so much grace. Why? Or rather, what do we do when God and culture collide? We must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than even our own emotions. How do I find forgiveness? Jesus alone. Can I really trust that Jesus is alive? Yes. Many eyewitnesses gave their lives saying that he was alive. And he changes lives still today. And that's my hope. That's why I can get up here and talk about some really countercultural stuff today. Because my hope is that the word of God and the spirit of God still changes lives. So what I'd say to you to close, friend, is are you tired of fighting God? That's really the theme from today. The apostle said, uh, if you're asking us if we're going to fight God or men or listen to God or men, we're going to listen to God. We'd rather fight men. Gamaliel said, you can go ahead and fight these guys, but you're going to probably find yourself just fighting God. What area of your life and my life, what area of our lives are we fighting God? Because he is creator. And he is savior. And he is the spirit of God that wants to do the heavy lifting in our lives. And so even when it's not popular and even when it doesn't look like everybody else looks like, the Lord is saying, I have life for you. I have good for you. I died for you. I want a relationship with you. And I want to be close to you. Once in a while, I'll do this. If God's changed your life in any way, would you just raise your hand really quickly? Just raise your hand. Just look around, everybody. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. This is our hope. This Lord is still at work. I'm not who I was at 43, 39, 30, certainly not 15. God's done so much in my life. You can trust him with even the most delicate and intimate 
details and areas of your life. I want us to open up the front again for prayer today. During this last song, if anybody needs prayer for any reason, it could have something to do with what we did talk about today. It might be a loved one you need God to touch. It might be a a prodigal you're praying will come home. It might be just you need the Lord's peace. Whatever it will be, we're going to have prayer team members up across the front here. And we're not trying to remanufacture something. We're not, it's not emotionalism. We're going to spend some time praying together during this last song. So what we'll do is we're going to stand in just a minute and pray. Our prayer team members are going to come up and just kind of line the stage. And just invite you guys to come up. Whoever wants to come up, here's what I would ask you. Don't like make a line down the aisles. Just come up to the front and kind of just spread out all across here and worship God along with the rest of us. And we'll get to you as we can until we get to pray for everybody in this last part. But you are loved, everybody. And God has a good, powerful, awesome plan and purpose for your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you today to put your trust in him. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the God that you are, the faithful Savior, the Father, the one who has this amazing plan. And thank you, Spirit of God, that you are in us. And Lord, we just ask you to meet us now, God. We ask you to draw us close to you. I thank you that we can come close. And God, help our 21st century Western minds, oh God, to wrestle with some of this stuff. But at the end of the day, surrender to you, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need you. And we know your ways are good, and we know they lead to life. Thank you for your forgiveness and mercy, and that every person in this room today has hope because of Jesus. Though we're all drawn to things you say are not good, we want to bring them to you. Lord, you love us as you find us, but you're too good to leave us here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to pray with me now. Would you pray this with me? Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead so I can be forgiven. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Jesus, draw me close to you. Forgive me and allow me to walk in a close relationship with you. Put your spirit in me to help me. Thank you, God. I want to do a second prayer today. Is there somebody in the room that might say, I've been far from God, but I want to come back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, please draw me back to you. God, help me to come home. (laughs) Help me to come back to, to my relationship with you, my first love. Jesus, do something powerful in my life today. 